All right, everyone, welcome back to another uh, on weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Shows you how my brain's working this morning. I'm joined, as always, by my prepared co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. We've got a lot of stuff no, to cover prepared, today. Prepared is not enough, Michael. This is going to be one of our biggest shows ever. Uh, vivacious. No, that, that's, that, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> pumped. Pumped, pumped is what I like we're going to today. Yeah. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Mm. And, okay, first things first. I'm taking credit for the entire 30% pump in Bitcoin since last week. Why? Because last week, when everyone was freaking out about the bank runs and SVB, who broke out the Bitcoin orange pants, who put on the Genesis block socks and said a bailout of the banks, which was going to happen on Sunday, would be good for Bitcoin? This guy. All right. So I got the green pants on today because of the massive green candles. And I also have the Bitcoin bull, okay? <laughs> the Bitcoin bull is back, baby. We mm. are going. I got the Guinness top. You got the Guinness top too? So yeah. I am ready. I am ready for this show. This is gonna be a big show. I love it. Why don't we just talk about, actually, it's been so long since we've had a Bitcoin rally. Why don't we just lead with that? Um, because, yeah, we saw, first of all, Mark, it's been a week since we've talked, but it feels like about 10 years. You know, um, A lot has happened in the last week, and we've got a lot to cover. I want to get your thoughts on Credit Suisse. I want to get your thoughts on wobbles in the banking sector more broadly. There we go. That That's better. Buy Bitcoin, angle. yeah. All right. <laughs> But uh, so we've got a lot of we've got a lot of ground to cover on on the macro side of things. But let's lead with this rally in Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin uh, first kind of bottomed out and, and sold off on on signs of stress in the banking system. But it's been on a pretty uh, it's been on a tear basically for the rest of this entire week. Yep. At, at the time of recording, I think we're just under twenty seven thousand. So that's up uh, actually about thirty percent um, on the month. So can you just walk us through what's going on in in Bitcoin land? Well. Uh... <laughs> You know, again, we, we've talked about this over and over again, that one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Mm. Okay. It doesn't change. It, do, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't move. What does change is what you denominate it in. And the dollar in the past week suddenly got more toilet papery. The <laughs> Fed had to increase their balance sheet at the highest level in a single week in the past I think it's 25, I can't remember the exact number, but it's like 25 years. $300 billion. QT, it's over. And, and it's not technically, you know, D, um, Danielle DiMartino Booth, like, this isn't QE. Fine. I mean, it doesn't have to be QE. This is a recognition that um, there was impairment in the asset base of the banking system. Now, it's not permanent impairment and this whole thing about, oh, you know, uh, fractional reserve banking is a fraud and it never works. No, it, it works. The problem is that you can't have runs on the bank. And I'm pretty pissed off at a couple of VCs for fomenting that. But uh, ultimately, Bitcoin priced in dollars is responding to the fact that the dollar is going to be further devalued, is being further devalued. And it it is ultimately that uh, thing that was mentioned in the Genesis block, right? Uh, chance are on the verge of a second bailout for banks. Now we just had the third bailout for banks. And we're going to have a fourth and a fifth. And the value, you know, there's a guy, I wish I could give the guy credit, because, but I just, I just can't remember his Twitter handle. He has this ongoing chart of every traditional asset priced in Bitcoin. Mm. And they all go like this. All the lines are going down because when you price in a store of value, a true store of value, um, things don't look so good. Yeah, I, this is what I was going to get to because this this was exactly my thought as well. But basically, you can see that the Fed has reopened their discount window. There's also a temporary BTFP facility, and that was opened where basically what the Fed is doing is allowing banks. What what the the problem with banks that you and I talked about last week is that there are basically two risks when it comes to bonds. There's credit risk, which is what the risk of default, and that's what the banks were dealing with in 2008. Which is why, at least in my opinion, this isn't a great financial crisis nope. type risk. Exactly. And then there's and then there's interest rate risk, right? Which is 
Obviously, folks on this, folks listening to, to the show will know that there's an inverse relationship in between the yield of a bond and the, the price of that bond. So when the Fed has been jacking up these interest rates, the safe and liquid collateral that was sitting on these banks' balance sheets, which was exactly what they were supposed to be doing, by the way, went down an enormous amount and they got in trouble. The Fed basically opened up. I actually got to give them credit. I thought this was a pretty smart idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was pretty surgical, solved the problem, and it opened and basically allowed banks to lend to the lend to the Fed at at par. So if you have safe and liquid collateral like a treasury, right, that you know there's right in in our in our financial system, there's no risk of the U.S. defaulting on that treasury. Uh, you can basically lend lend again, uh, you know, give that to the Fed, and they'll give you uh, if it's only trading at. I'm making up numbers here, but 80 or 90 cents on the dollar right now, they'll they'll basically give you give you yep. credit as if it's a hundred cents on the dollar. I thought it was a pretty smart thing, kind of solved the problem. The, the the challenge though, from the from the perspective of the Fed and US policymakers, is that we saw the Fed's balance sheet grow by $300 billion over the course of the last week. And to your point, Mark, Bitcoin went on a tear, and I'm pretty sure that's what it's responding to. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I agree with you that that the decision is is a good one, right? These are these are money good assets. I mean, in the absence of of a complete and total meltdown mm. of you know the United States government, which you know I, there are people out there on Twitter. This is amazing. I, I find it so odd when people root for something that would be completely catastrophic. Because it yeah. would make the one little piece of their portfolio go up. Like that's a really bad idea. And yeah. this idea that the total failure of the government and total uh hyperinflation of the currency is somehow a good thing. Mm. It's like the people who are patting these these VCs on the back for, you know, it was good to get all your companies out of the bank. No, it wasn't. That's yeah. It's idiotic. And and I hope they're listening. And I hope that it's idiotic. It's not even dumb. It's it's irresponsible. It's it's anti-everything that we all hold dear, which is communities come together and build. And I and I keep and I keep saying this over and over. I defy anyone, anyone, give me a country that has a poor or absent fractional reserve banking system that you will move to, I will wait because they don't exist. Fractional reserve banking, communities coming together to pool their resources and use them for growth is what makes life kind of worth living. It, it's, it just makes me angry. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you all for listening to On The Margin. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up about a conference that we have coming up in the new year called Permissionless. I'm sure most of you have been there last year. Uh, it is the cultural event of the year. We had over 5,500 people down in Palm Beach. This year, we are moving to Austin, Texas. You know what they say about Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> Uh, so last year, we had a really great lineup of speakers. We had the two co-founders of Robinhood, Vlad Tenev and Baiju Bot. We had Chris Dixon. We had some of the folks that have been on the show a whole bunch of times, Jim Bianco, Dan Tapiero, just a phenomenal lineup of speakers, and you can expect the same this year. If you use Margin 10, you will get 10% off on a ticket. Again, that's Margin 10, because I love you guys so much. Click the link at the bottom of the show notes. Hope to see you there in person. You know, you know, Mark. It's it's so funny. I think the I think where we're at as as a country right now is we're actually uh, questioning some pretty core beliefs about about America and society as as a whole right now. I listened to a debate going on in, in the Blockworks office about the merits of capitalism uh, yesterday. Oh and, no, uh, and, Michael, stop! And, no. uh, hey, hey, my own look, look. But here's what I here's what I want to get to with the with with the with the banking with the banking system is I'm actually. I hear you with this. I, I hear you with the idea that, like, look, fractional reserve banking is basically a service that these banks do. We, the reason we have such a deep and liquid mortgage market, the reason why you're able to buy, um, some people at least are able to buy a home as an American, is because we have this system of banks basically, you know, extend the greasing the wheels of, uh, you know, of commerce in our, in our country. The the other side of that, and I think a lot of people have woken up to this because it's been abstracted away by, frankly, how well the banking system has performed for such a long yeah. period of time, uh, great financial crisis notwithstanding, is, you know, Lynn Alden described this in an episode of, of Forward Guidance. You know, another way that you could describe banks is a levered bond fund. And, and that is kind sure. of what they are. 
our enti- the backbone of our economy is, is a levered bond fund. So I hear you, by the way. Like I, I understand what banks do. Like I understand a lot of the the easy access to financials and easy access to credit is because we as a society have all agreed to put our money in these levered bond funds. But at the same time, it is a little bit funny because that's actually that's why everything is such a confidence game, and it's so dangerous when. You know what I mean? It reminds me no, of that. No, no, Henry- I, I, I absolutely look confidence game, right? Con game, yeah. right? They mm-hmm. got they got you know turned into a negative, but confidence, absolutely, this yeah. is about confidence, and absolutely, this is about trust. Now back to why is Bitcoin doing so great? Well, remember what what we're ultimately doing is we're moving from a trust based system to a truth based system. Right? We have to trust, okay, that the bank actually has our money, which is no longer our money because once you give it to the bank, it's their money, which uh, we've learned over and over again. Um, but but confidence in the system is critically important, and and that's why I say that's why I get so angry at these people that fomented distrust or mm. panic because. The average company didn't need all their money, right? They needed enough to make payroll and they needed enough to pay the bills. And But they didn't, you, I don't need all my money right now. I need enough to, you know, pay for the stuff I bought last night and, and you know, for the travel that I did. But it, the, 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 again, back to It's a Wonderful Life. I just love the movie. You know, when he says to Mr. Potter, you know, Mr. Potter's talking about, why does a building alone even exist? So, well, do you know how long it takes a working man to save to buy a house? Right? It's not possible. It's impossible. So doesn't it make sense that we can collectively pool our resources and let that person borrow money to buy the house and improve the house and live and work and pay taxes and produce and start businesses and and when people draw the equity out of their home and they start businesses, that's that's one of the biggest things of small business or small business creation, which is one of the greatest things about job creation. You know, all the big mergers and all the synergies from from big companies, it's all horseshit. It's negative for jobs. Negative right. for jobs. Look at all the big companies now. They are Mark, cutting jobs. That was a, a shock to me when, you know, co- when the original stimulus and sort of protective measures came out for COVID and they were protecting the big companies. I assumed that the big companies in America, corporate America, employed the majority of of people. It's the opposite. Small business employs like 66% of the United States. That was a real light bulb moment for me, by the way, that I didn't understand that. But we're we're, we're zoomed in here a little bit on, uh, on 2022. Looking at the Fed's balance sheet, if you saw this, if you saw before, if we if we zoomed out on the chart, many of you will be familiar with what the the chart of the Fed's balance sheet looks like. It is a one way street up, right? Uh, but even even now, what we're looking at here is beginning in 2022. This is when the Fed announced first there was the taper in terms of the balance sheet, and then we were going to start QT. And we got QT basically, or the the actual number of the amount of assets in the Fed's balance sheet started going down in about May of 2022 until March of 2023 this month when through these facilities and you've got if anyone is curious for how the assets uh, move back onto the Fed's balance sheet today through the discount window or through the BTFP uh, and facility and BTFP ish loans which we which we've highlighted there yeah, that was the chart three- I, that's the chart I, I had pictured in my mind that you know the third big spike and bigger than the previous ones by by a significant amount right the so shot, by the way is amazing they're, they're phenomenal. They're, yeah, they're, they're so good. Yeah, um, they're they're amazing for these charts. So, my question to you is, Mark. I think the big, I think what people are trying to look through and understand here, right? I think this is the the biggest question that people in the financial community are asking right now. Is if you're the Federal Reserve, if you're your Chairman Powell, you've got two sets of concerns here, right? On the one hand, inflation is still not yet solved. We've got a six handle on inflation still. And the sticky parts of inflation, the, the super core that they're paying attention to, still looks much hotter than they would like. On the other hand, you're starting to see stress in the banking system, right? And, and we always, this is something that we've been talking about for a while. There were two things that were going to get the Fed to either pause rate hikes or eventually pivot. One was that they're going to see the metrics that they wanted to see in CPI, super core, or whatever the, the metric du jour is, 
turn around, right? And then the Fed could could pause hiking and eventually start to cut rates. The other thing that was going to happen was they're going to break something. And what it looks, I think it's still a little bit too early to call from, from my perspective, but look, 300 billion got added back to the Fed's balance sheet. You've got people running around in a panic. Liz Warren basically, uh, you know, tweeted something intimating that that Powell hiked too aggressively and that he might be responsible for this. So my question to you is, is is this the thing that broke? And what do you think the Fed is going to do here? No. And look, so the fact that you even brought up her name just makes me crazy. I mean, the woman <laughs> just, she's, she's so, I mean, I hate to, I hate to say this, but I mean, she's just dumb. And, and it's hard to say, I mean, it's hard to say about someone who is a senator and, and like an important person in, but she's, actually, she's probably not dumb. She's probably defend, smart. Yeah. She probably just plays this part. She's a savvy of, politician. Is what she is. I don't know. Whatever. She, I anyway. I, so we're not going to talk about her because it just yeah. makes me angry. So, <laughs> so look. Here's the thing. The problem that we all faced is with an aging population. Okay, with the boomers, you know, me and all my you know brethren and sistren, uh, ten thousand of us turning sixty-five every single day. Okay, what that does is it means your working age population growth is slowing. When your working age population growth is slow, and as more people turn 65, your productivity slows. Mm. So GDP growth is working age population growth plus productivity. Those two things are sub 1%, which means GDP is just not going to grow. So the only way is to lever. Okay, The only way is to create money, debt, Okay, which money is debt. Well, actually, that's not true. Currency is debt. Money, gold, and Bitcoin. Well, cancels debt. Can't, yeah. Real money is an asset that exists without a liability, but currency is debt, right? All of it. And it takes an increasing amount of debt to generate a dollar of GDP. Mm-hmm. And so what has to happen is you have to keep expanding. So there's only two places that, well, there's three places that that debt can get purchased. Foreigners, okay? Banks or the Fed, the, the lender of last resort, the buyer of last resort. In Japan, they, they, don't, even, they don't even pretend. They just put it all on the, the Fed because no one's going to buy Japanese government bonds. No other country in the world is going to buy Japanese government bonds because they're demographically over a cliff, little tiny country, all imports. It's just no one's going to buy them. The banks and insurance companies don't, they're full up, you know, they're up to here. So who buys it? The Bank of Japan. In the US, for years, okay, during this exportation of our pollution and our jobs and our labor costs, as we pushed everything into China. I, we have this, you know, we're, we're out actually raising our, our, a new China fund. And we're like, oh my God, China, we hate China. And we have this great chart in the presentation in 2000, which is not that long ago. In 2000, China was infinitesimally small part of global trade, right? You had the EU block that was a big block. You had the uh, U.S. block that was then tied to uh, Asia through Japan. We had the mm. Japan uh, relationship. And China was just this little emerging circle. 23 years later, China's this big-ass circle in the middle. And Is that the technical term? A, a technical term, big-ass. Okay, <laughs> And everything goes through there. And everybody's talking about, oh, you know, we're going to have friend shoring and reshoring. <laughs> if you take Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, Thailand, all the other Southeast Asian circles, they're not as big. So, yeah, a few jobs will go to these places. But the bottom line is multinational corporations, they're staying in China. Here's a yeah. factoid that nobody knows. 60% of Teslas that are sold globally are made in China. Mm. That factory opened 18 months ago. 
The factory in California has been open almost 10 years. It's at 70% um, productivity or 77, 77% uh, output. The Chinese factory is at 91. Mm. So there's no chance Tesla's going to leave China. There's no chance Nike's going to leave. I mean, all these companies are so inextricably woke. And here's another one. Do you know Sheen, company Sheen? I mean, you're not a, you're not a. Oh, a, you know what? I didn't until someone pointed out to me. I thought they had horrible labor practices or something like that. No, no, this, okay. This is this. they might, but, but that's the, that's what the Western, no, they actually don't, but the, the Western press wants you to believe that. Here's why. Mm. Okay. This company five years ago did not exist. Mm. Okay. Today it's bigger than Zara and is about mm. to pass H&M. Why? Because as companies tried to offshore out of China, they bought up all the manufacturing capability. Mm. They use AI to create fashion, fast fashion. Mm. So it's Zara, which my daughter loves Zara. Like she gets Zara boxes all the time, Zara kids. I mean, Zara, Zara, Zara. And so it takes three weeks from idea to product, three weeks. Sheen, three days. They start 5,000 SKUs a day. And if a Zara dress costs 50 bucks, which is a bargain, right? A Sheen dress costs $13. I mean, 100% of their manufacturing in China, 100% of their sales in America. This is an amazing, amazing story. Yeah. And so my, my point there is that China is at the center of this manufacturing hub. So. Mm. We're not going to offshore any more of our, our costs. So the only buyer, so, so that's it. So the foreigners, the Chinese don't need to buy our bonds anymore. The Russians mm -hmm. don't need to buy our bonds anymore. The, you know, the Belgians, which was just a front for uh, the Europeans and the Saudis, they might buy some bonds. But buying, selling government bonds, which we need to you know, sell a lot of to fund a $3 trillion deficit, that the administration just put out, can't do it. So who's going to buy? Well, the Fed. So the Fed balance sheet went like this, right? You showed the charts. It goes straight. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like parabolic. Well, then they said, no, no, we're, we're going to sell the bonds. Well, who are you going to sell them to? The banks. We're going to yeah. stuff them. We're going to stuff them in the banks. And no, and everyone will be. And, and look, it was actually not a terrible idea. Because again, these are I, money good. Yeah. They have a higher yield. And, and this is what we talked about last week. What people missed was from 2009 till 2022, it was about fixing the bank balance sheets. That's why interest rates were zero, because you were fixing their balance sheets. Starting last year when he started to raise rates, it was now time to try to fix their income statements. It was trying to expand the NIMS. And, and, and this was not completely irrational, although it, it turned out to be a problem. What they said is, yeah, to your, and this goes to your question, Michael, which is a long-winded way of getting to your question, but did something break? So the point is, yes, they raised rates, and there were these losses on bonds. Bond market had the worst year in history last year, 60-40, worst year in history. Okay, that's breaking. But then you look around and like, planes are still full. The hotels are still full. The trucks, the traffic, traffic is horrible. Okay. Everything's good. So what's happening? Where, where are those losses? Where they're on the bank balance sheets, but mm. they're not losses, losses. <laughs> I mean, they're not like lending to a, you know, a, a borrower can't pay you back for a, you know, third home that they don't live in, that they're trying to flip. These are government bonds that are going to pay money good. And there's this mark to market loss. And as long as you don't everyone rush for the exits, it's totally fine because time is on your side. But now yeah. what happened? Those, another technical term, dickheads, okay, sent out those memos and everybody panicked. The confidence game kind of left. And so now who has to buy? The buyer of last resort. The buyer of last resort. But see, to me, look, I, I think bank bank runs are a, a unfortunate 
unfortunate, uh, you know, feature of the way the system is designed. Um, so yeah. I, I, I hear you. Like, I, I think fomenting panic, you know, when, there, when there's no cause is, is not a good thing to do. But I also, to be honest, you know, if it was me and I had BlockWorks funds at Silicon Valley Bank, I don't know. You know, I, I would hope that someone would have given me the advice. So I don't mean to you know, stir the pot here, but I would have I would have not wanted to risk it, right? I've been doing blockworks for five years. It's an enormous part of my life. I but the the thing that I want to get your get your take on here is what is the market like? There there was actually a great chart that was shared by by Cameron Dawson on Twitter, which was basically show, it's it's outdated now, which is why I'm not going to show it. But but she uh, she had basically charted this is what Fed funds futures was pricing in, you know, yep. and she showed end of January, beginning of March. Uh, and in mid March, which it's already it's already outdated, but the wild swings in the in the in Fed funds futures. And look look at these charts here. By the way, if you're following along via video, we're looking at the market implied terminal rate, which you know as of March 9th or 10th was. Uh, you can actually see a spike in this chart when yep. Jerome Powell had his had his testimony, right? And he you know had a lot of hawkish rhetoric. He implied that we are going to stay around until the job is done, yada yada. The the terminal rate spiked up from or the you know implied terminal rate spiked up from just about five point four percent to five point six five five point seven. And uh, and after this this banking crisis, we see it plummet. You know down now to it's about uh, you know it reached four point seven uh, you know four point six five percent, and now it's back around at five. And the market pricing for uh, Fed funds change in the second half of 2023, we're now pricing in an expectation of rate cuts. So my, my yep. question to you is here, you know, it's hard to, usually I'm, I'm roughly in the camp of people who say that the bond market is the single source of truth. Here's what I also will say. The bond market is obviously capable of changing its mind. And it doesn't seem, yeah. there's there's an enormous amount of uncertainty, right? That, that seems to be out there right now. So uh, again, I'm just trying to look at, some of these data points and try to construct what I think other people are thinking. And based on what I'm seeing in the terminal rate, the expectations of rate cuts, the stress that's going on in the banking system and Bitcoin, all of that paints to me a, a picture of the, the market thinking that the Fed is blinked. That, that, that's what it looks like to me. But am, am I wrong there? Because I, I understand that the Fed has solved this for now. But I've got a. Um, I'm actually going to try to. Well, I want to let you respond to that, and then I've got I've got something else to to show you. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, a couple of things. I mean, Michael, what what the heck are you doing? You know, analyzing data <laughs> before you draw a conclusion. I mean, come on, that's not the way it works now. Haven't you been on Twitter lately? I mean, you, you don't actually look at data and try to decide what what's happening. You just you just create, throw out a crazy narrative and then you find the data to support what you believe. I like to so, do that too. <laughs> so, so thank you for being you know, data dependent in, in, a, in a real way. So no, exactly as, as you described, the, the markets are far better arbiters of reality than narrative. And mm. It's it's kind of like why I've, I've said for years I I don't love I, I don't like the Fed I'm I'm with Rudy Havenstein you know ETF and the Fed. Did you and, see he got suspended from Twitter again? Oh my god! Oh my What's god. going on with that? Oh, oh god! Jack, mm. Jack, and I know Jack doesn't listen to us, but bring back Rudy. I mean, the guy is a national treasure. I mean, come on. Um, so here's here's your your analysis is exactly right that. The market, and, and probably the the most astute market, the, you know, the stock market is is probably not as good at determining truth, particularly in the short run, because of high frequency trading and front running and and all the the noise. Long term, it's actually pretty good, um, mm. but but short term, it's it's probably a little little squishier. Bond market, actually, really good. And if you if you bet against things like Fed futures and, and like, you usually you usually lose. Because um, that markets, remember the, the bond markets are orders of magnitude bigger than stock markets. I mean, mm. huge. I mean, just monstrous because uh, there's so much debt. And so, I I agree with you that the bond market is saying, you know what? And I, I won't say that they think the Fed blinked. I think what they're saying is the Fed has to blink because the Fed hasn't blinked yet. Right? They yep. raised last time. 
They meet next Wednesday. Uh, he said he's going to raise again. We'll see if he blinks or not. And, mm. you know, it's funny. I, I still did, I didn't get the answer, I think, to the question you asked last week. You know, is it one person who makes this decision or is everybody a voting member? And I still didn't look that up. So, um, but whether they blink or not, I think the market has blinked. And I think what, what has happened, and that's why you see Bitcoin doing what Bitcoin does, is it stores value from capital flight, right? That, that's ultimately what it is. It's it's that opt-out money, right? I mean, the, the portion of my net worth that is in Bitcoin is there for a very specific reason. It's to protect me from the event that my other wealth gets massively devalued. That's right. That's why I have it, right? I, totally in agreement with you there. And to me, the, the, the thing that Bitcoin, first of all, is appealing is overall, I'm a big believer in the financial system that's being built in crypto. I personally think it's a parallel financial system that's going to uh, store a whole bunch of value in the future. There's a Bitcoin that's a portion of that. Uh, Ethereum is a portion of that. DeFi, all, all that stuff. I'm I'm a big believer and big supporter of, of all of that. I think for today, Bitcoin is basically the purest bet that you can make on uh, persistently lower interest rates and monetary debasement. I just think it's kind of that simple. Oh, yeah. And in, and yes, you know, if, yes. if you say stuff like the debt matter, the, the debt is not in the US zeitgeist. It's just starting to enter the zeitgeist. It's a massive, it's a massive factor that like all, in my opinion, like political, like a lot of what's going on in politics that people don't understand. It's this black hole that's slowly impacting all of these other things in society that's invisible to people because it's not in the zeitgeist right now. But I think it's going to enter soon. By the way, we had we just uh, I'll, I'll plug uh, listeners of the interview portion of this week. No, Weston Nakamura joined uh, joined Blockworks, and he's going to be doing a great show called Market Debts. He's based out of Tokyo. We did we did an interview based on uh, talking deeply about the Bank of Japan. Mark, do you know what uh, percentage of Japan's national budget goes towards servicing their debt? If I had to make you guess, what portion? of the national budget to service the national debt. Yeah, annual budget. Ah, it's got to be, I mean, even even though rates are incredibly low in Japan because it's it's got to be 63%. It's 25%. It's 25? 25%. But okay. still, but like no, that, no, no, that's no, an no, enormous no, no. portion it, rock bottom rates. Sense. Rock bottom rates. I yeah. mean, that is a uh, it Pretty, pretty. That was a mind blowing statistic for me. No. So what that tells me is that we've still got a lot of room to run. I think in the U.S. and it's probably a little premature to to say something like that. But I'm I'm pretty confident that at some point in the next couple of years that this is going to enter enter the zeitgeist. And the the thing about Silicon Valley Bank and stress in the banking system writ large is that people are very myopically focused on this one little point, right? About shoring up bank balance sheets. But the point that I want to stress to you is that this is not just banks weren't the only ones that bought bonds at generational highs and then used them as collateral. Now here I want to show you I've got a, I forgot this is going to be a fun callback actually. Um, so I'm going to show you uh, uh, a chart that also comes from the Daily Shot. Shout out to the Daily Shot guys. You guys are are absolutely crushing it. Uh, this is a chart of a multifamily housing. Hmm. Now, does this ring it does this ring any bells? Because the, the hint here is that this was uh, this was an interview that the two of us did uh, about a month and a half ago. Yep. So I'm referencing there was that we brought James Devolos on from Horizon Kinetics, yep. and he described a conference. I wonder here, ready? Yep. On the comments you made on real estate, because we knew a couple like a month or two ago that the Blackstone regated redemptions. Yesterday, we found out Starwood gated and we found out KKR gated. So we have a uh, bridge lending uh, team at Horizon. They have a small fund, really interesting. But so then they're down in Miami at a multifamily conference uh, earlier this month. So I had no idea people were playing this game. 
So what people were doing is they were going out and buying a multifamily property, anywhere from a three to a four, maybe max a five cap, but let's say three to four during like, you know, peak free money. They're borrowing at SOFR plus 200. So let's say they were borrowing at two and a half. And banks, oh, multifamily is impregnable. So I'm going to give you an 80% LTV. So they've got an 80% LTV interest only loan at two and a half floating and their properties yielding, let's be generous and say three and a half. So the game that everyone was playing was, I've got this two to three year IO loan. I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna paint the building, I'm gonna put in a new refrigerator and I'm gonna put carpet in and I'm gonna raise the rents. Then I'm gonna have higher net operating income. I'm gonna basically go to a bank and get permanent financing off of my higher NOI, pull out my equity, and now I have all this cash flow for free. And rinse, wash, repeat, People got really rich doing it. But when the music stops, you have a big problem because, oh no, SOFR is now, you know, what's, what's one year? Three and a half, four, plus 200. So now you're carrying a property yielding three and change at six and change. And you have basically this liquidity mismatch. And then this is what really terrified me. Everybody at this conference is running around to bridge lenders saying, hey, I need one year extension. It's like, okay, well, what's one year? What's a, what's a one year extension going to do? I don't know. The Fed's going to, the Fed's going to pivot in the back half of this year. So just give me a one year extension, bridge me for a year. SOFR is going to go down and it's all going to bail me out and everything is going to be fine. That is happening with these smaller people that are doing this. So that dynamic that he's describing a month and a half ago is the same problem that banks are going through, but what he's describing this is in the form of of real estate, right? Commercial. He's yep. talking about multifamily as an yep. asset class, and so what he was describing there is BREIT, BREIT gated withdrawals, and this is the uh, Michael Cow is also talking about this on Twitter the other day. What what is broadly being described here, right? This is the Paul McCauley term that came from 2007. It sounds a little conspiratorial. It's the shadow banking system, right? Yeah. So basically, yeah. post post Great Financial Crisis, regulators came in, right? And there were multiple. There was Basel II. There was Basel III, and they basically said, "Hey guys, we want a much larger. There are certain ratios, um, capital ratios that we want you to maintain. We want you to maintain a huge safe and liquid bond portfolio, which is basically uh, U.S. Treasuries and now mortgage-backed securities as well." Um, but all that risk that you wanted to take before, we don't want you to take that anymore. Well, there's still demand for people out there want to take risk and there's demand for other forms of financing that don't, doesn't necessarily fit that. That moves into this broader realm of what people kind of call shadow banking. So shadow banking is this, you know, the, the Fed doesn't keep any statistics on it, right? But it's a large sector out there that provides this type of more risky financing. And my, my guess or the thing that I'm just curious about, right, is that I bet you that there is stress. It would make sense to me that a, a large, opaque, and risky sector would also have similar signs of stress because they're exposed to the same interest rate risk. Don't oh, you? It's it's everywhere. Look, it, yeah. I mean, you see it. You see it in in Carvana and and Santander. That's the you know subprime car lender, and you're going to see it in the credit cards. You're seeing it in the delinquencies. Yeah, that the 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 interest rate arbitrage game of the the free money era it's over and mm-hmm. and you know it's funny it, that was really surreal you know i i saw myself make the same face i know when james that. said the same thing <laughs> that i was watching on the screen so i was i i, I was watching me make the same face again because when he says it it's just like Ugh. i mean is it is it possible that people really really believe this and you know, I, I don't want to pick a scab here, but it's kind of what, uh, you know, Barry is banking on in the inverse uh, for DCG. Now, and actually, he's getting a little bit of it because I think he's getting rally. it. Yeah, I think that's, that's so, what these other real estate lenders are getting too. They might, yeah, get yeah. Their pivot. Yeah. They might actually get their pivot. Yeah, that's well, and, and to, the, to that point, even without a pivot, short-term rates... Uh, I mean, uh, not short term, intermediate term rates plummeted, right? Yep. We went from 404 <laughs> down to 349 in a matter of days. So it's, it is interesting, um, you know, if something cannot persist, it's likely that it won't persist. 
And so if, if all of these real estate shadow banking entities are going to go bankrupt, it's probably likely that the trend that was going to make them all go bankrupt ends. Now, some of them will go bankrupt. And, you know, the gated ones will get liquidated. And, and you know, you've, you've heard the stories. There was that, that, I can't remember which company it was, but one of the big real estate companies out in California, you know, they had a property that they bought for 500 million that literally, I think, just traded it at like 50. And that's, you know, that's real, right? If you, if you're 80% LTV and, and you, you had a 1% uh, net interest margin spread and suddenly that's, you know, going the other way, three or 4%, yeah, you could, you could lose a hundred percent of your equity, hurry, 95% of your equity. I mean, you, you could lose huge amounts of equity. So that, that stress is real. I mean, look at Carvana stock. Now, t- this year notwithstanding, because people you know bought the zombie companies because uh, they thought free money was coming back. Um, but generally speaking, most of those charts, you know, had a had an uptick, but now they've rolled back over. You know, it's <laughs> I, I'll give you an example. So we we did a call uh, a couple weeks ago with clients, and uh, somebody was saying, you know, should should I go buy silver or no, should I short Silvergate equity? I'm like, well, okay, you should have shorted it, you know, for the first 95% drop, but shorting it here, the risk is you get a bunch of meme stalkers that go think it's going to survive like they did with Hertz or Bed Bath and & Beyond. And, you know, it, it could have a, a horrific bounce up. Ultimately, yeah, I, I, I think it, it probably is going to get extinguished, but, uh, you know, Playing that game uh, of shorting things that are already down 95, 97, 98%, yeah, I think it's too dangerous. Yeah. Too asymmetric. Let's um let's talk for a little bit. And I, I know this is neither of our uh, you know, expertise necessarily, but I would love to get your your thoughts on just while we're kind of putting a bookend here on the stress that's going on in the banking sector. Um, let's talk a little bit about Credit Suisse and some of the problems that's going on there. Credit Suisse, <laughs> obviously a very a far cry, right, from the the tiny, you know, regional banks uh, like the Silver Gates yeah. of the world. Credit Suisse, you know, is is right up there in terms of of blue chip names. So uh, and and they're they're very large, right? At one point, they had uh, almost a trillion dollars on on their balance sheet. That shrunk considerably to about five hundred billion or so. Yeah. They've had they've had a tough last couple of years, right? So there were a couple of a uh, couple of scandals. Um, the the mo- most notable, right? That that will probably still be within the zeitgeist for most folks is uh, the Archegos scandal. Now, again, this wasn't necessarily their fault, although they're supposed to be very sophisticated risk managers. But Archegos was the Bill Wang fund. Right, and he was obviously he was taking super super levered bets. The way he structured his his trades, where he wasn't buying spot on a lot of these stocks, he was buying. He had a, a derivatives uh, kind of structure for for how he was um, doing these trades. And I think Credit Suisse, in my memory, they took about a over a billion dollar bath, right? Just a, a loss, right? On, oh, on yeah, I think it was yeah, a yeah. couple million, yeah, yeah. So they they've sort of seen a, a there was a string of those sorts of things. Um, Basically, they've seen outflows for a long period of time. Their stock is down from the peak about 98%. And I remember Jim Bianco's tweet about Silvergate. He tweeted this. When a stock goes down 98%, the vast majority of the time is it loses the last two. So <laughs> Vast so, majority. Well, here's the crazy thing. I have a friend had a funny tweet. He said, you know, basically Credit Suisse has been going out of business my whole career. <laughs> and it's not just like the last two years. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's a 20 year downward spiral and, you know, yeah. poor management, I mean, a series of poor management decisions, uh, you know, massive, massive leverage. You know, they made Lehman and some of the other, you know, problems in the US look, look you know, almost prudent uh, in terms of the amount of leverage. Deutsche Bank was another one. Which to this day, Deutsche Bank is still way, way more levered than anybody else. Um, and look, when when things are going well, leverage is is awesome. But man, when it goes the other way, bad. Um, yeah. 
So can can you describe though, like why they're so ba- they, basically they were in um, they were in an enormous amount of trouble. Their, their largest investor, which is the Saudi National Bank, they said that they ruled out right at some point that there was uh, they they ruled out raising more capital or injecting more capital into the bank. I mm-hmm. think that caused in a, like people to to panic. But now the Swiss National Bank for a while they weren't saying anything, and now they said, hey, we'll extend a fifty billion dollar lifeline to to Credit Suisse. So just to to you know, bookend what I said before about the 98%, usually it loses the last 2%. It's looking at least as of this morning, which is Friday morning, Friday, the, the March 17th, it looks like they're going to be okay because the government stepped in basically. Well, it'll be okay-ish, right? And that, that's yeah. my point about you don't, the, the hard part is, while Jim is right, that that it's likely that you go down, the problem is the timing is hard. And that's why right. shorting there, and particularly banks, um, I think I've told the story on, on the show before, you know, in 2009, uh, you know, I was in Chase Coleman's office, you know, Tiger Global and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Chase had crushed it for us in 2008, uh, being short financials and, and uh, he had a really bad 2009. In 2009, market was up 26. He was actually down uh, materially. And everybody's like, oh, he's done. It's over. It wasn't over. But but I'm, I'm sitting in his office and he literally flings this pack of papers across and look at this. I'm like, what is it? He says, Citigroup's, you know, balance sheet. They're bankrupt. This stock should be zero. Their liabilities exceed their assets. There's no way this thing should survive. I'm like, yeah. And the stock had gone from 50 to one, right? From 50 to one. And he said, then it went from one to like three and he was getting run over being short. And he said, I finally figured it out. It's inconvenient for too many people for this stock to go to zero. <laughs> and he said, I'm never going to short financials again. And he didn't. And, and he did, did pretty well. You know, not last year, notwithstanding, which was a sucky year. Um, but he'll come back. Um, but the same thing's true here. Credit Suisse. It's not, oh, we're a little bank in Switzerland. Oh, we're a little, little bank in, in some city. It's Credit Suisse. It's the Swiss bank Mm -hmm. and zero chance. And not that, not that the, you know, Switzerland is not a big place, by the way. Now it's a really wealthy place because that's where everyone, (laughs) some not so good people actually stored their gold that they plundered during some, some bad stuff. But, but there are some good people too. Don't get me wrong. They're not all bad people, but there's a whole bunch of dodgy stuff that, that, is the base layer of that wealth. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue-chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old, they can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. So, so let me ask you this. So when people talk about the Federal Reserve kind of riding in, Right, and there, there, there is a an implicit assumption. As soon as we get them involved, we're we're fine. Right, that that's that's we're eliminating risk. So, so let me, let me just ask you. Oh my God! How no, is, you're killing me. Because I have a thought me. about this, but how is you're risk being me. transformed? Do you think in in all of this no, in the Michael, system? It, I remember a day. I am old enough. I remember a day, and this there's a friend of mine that said this, so I'm stealing it from him. Um, where I didn't know the names of the central bankers. Yeah. And I long for that day to return. And so <laughs> this is the thing. As soon as the Fed gets involved, or a central banker is involved, oh, the risk is magic. No, no. So what 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 we did, right, is w- we created a, a risk where? In the financial system. Where? In the banking system. How? Issued a bunch of debt forced the banks to buy it. And, and I say forced, 
right? This this was yeah. You will buy this. You will buy this because that's the deal. In order for you to borrow from us for free, you have to buy this asset. And everybody's like, no, that's not what happened. Like, yeah, it is. And I I can actually prove that. So this was a forced deal. Really good for the bank, right? Because if I can borrow at 25 basis points and I can uh, invest it at 3%, 4%, 5% risk-free, quote unquote, risk-free, default risk-free. It's not interest rate risk-free. It's not confiscation risk-free. It's not uh, derivative risk-free, you know, leverage on leverage, but default risk-free in theory. So the risk that I think is happening now is devaluation risk, which again, is why Bitcoin, back all back to Bitcoin, why right. Bitcoin is soaring is we are guaranteeing that we will devalue the currency the same way that every example of this in history has ended. As I said, 875 paper currencies in the history of the world, three quarters of them no longer exist. They got hyperinflated out of existence. The ones that are still surviving are down 90, 95, 98, 99%. Why? Because that's your only way out. Yeah. Capital, yeah, financial oppression and capital controls. Story as old as time. Been going on forever. As old as time. And, and so the buyer of last resort buys the debt. Okay. So now it's removed that mark-to-market risk. Well, so now what's the risk? Well, now the risk is, well, if, if you're the buyer of last resort, who buys it from you? Bless you. Who, who buys it from you? Well, there's no one to buy it. So what do you do? You debt jubilee it. And that yeah. is what's coming, right? That is what's coming. You know, look at the 1840s, debt jubilee in the UK, right? They gathered up all the tally sticks. They gathered up all the debt and they burned it up and said, oh, we're starting over. Look at the Jewish faith that has the uh, every, um, how many years? Every 12 years? Yeah. It, they, they do it, it, it. Part of the Jewish faith long ago was every, I think it's 12 years. Ah, shoot. It'd be better if I remember. They just forgave all the debts and started over. And what did that do? It incentivized you to massively lever up right lever before up. the yeah. amnesty. Right. And so if you were a wealthy person, you were able to gather more wealth right before they did. And there's a term for it. Um, again, you know, it's I'm not of the Jewish faith. So, you know, what's funny is, um, I went, Even though I went I'm on 3% this. Eastern Jewish, so I bet I'm oh, not of the Jewish faith. There you go. Did you do the 23andMe? I did 23 Well, no, I haven't told you this. It's a funny story. So mm. my mom, for years, told my wife, you know, we're, we're part Jewish. Mm. And my wife's like, well, no, Judy, you're either Catholic or Jewish or Protestant. Or, but, uh, but okay, she humored my mom because, you know, it's her mother-in-law. Mm. And uh, so we do the 23andMe and comes back. I'm 3%. Eastern Jewish, Ashkenazi Jewish. There you go. So, I, I, I'm still. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't done one of those things, but uh, I probably should. I would love to. Love to know more. No, keep your data to yourself. And if you that's, want to sell it to Mark for a thousand dollars, do it directly. That's what I was. That's what I was kind of thinking. The the the. I, I went on this this trip to Morocco, and there there was a guy. I, I don't want to you know disrupt his privacy. I had a lot of fun talking to him. He was from. Uh, he was he was from one of the Carolinas and he was very clued in to everything that's going on with the, the fed and macro and, and find it very interested in as a, as an investor. And he, he said this thing, which was if you die uh, and you, and you're in debt, you've actually won. <laughs> and that, that, that stuck with me actually, because it's, it's kind of exactly what you're describing, right. On a, a larger basis, right. If you can borrow and you don't have to pay back, you get your debt's wiped. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't translate to your family, which is what it used to do. Uh, we used to have debtors' prisons and stuff like that. But the, the, you know, for me, everything that we're talking about with the what central banks have done, we as a society have skewed shorter term, short tail risk for long tail, very fat risk, basically. And that, that to me, is what it looks like in the uh, if, if we look at our financial system, we've kicked we the the last. 80 years of the financial system in the U.S. has been a story of consolidation, 
right? People talk about this a lot, and in in some ways, it's it's great, right? We used to have twenty five thousand banks in the U.S. in uh, the nineteen sixties, and that's been consolidated way down uh, to whatever it is now, and. Partially, that's pretty good, right? When a bank fails, you roll up the the bad assets or, or, or you know slightly tainted assets of one bank into a, into a larger bank that has larger uh, equity buffer, and and that's how it's kind of worked. But the the real problem is the obviously what this week has shown is that we need our the the Fed right to even for the large banks right to shore up confidence in the system. So you're just transferring risk ultimately to the Fed, which is backstopped by the U.S. Taxpayer and and I it sounds so conspiratorial to be like the U.S. is going to de- I don't think the U.S. is going to default on its debt. I'm I'm just trying to describe a, yep. a system here, which is what happened. Like we for the last X number of years have been okay with transferring risk to the government, and yeah. in a lot of ways that's solved an enormous amount of problems. In some other pretty important ways, it's kicking the can and raising the stakes. So I think of that's the, no, that's it, the thing it is to, of course and. So anyway, I want to I want to I want to correct. So it's not twelve years; uh, it's seven years and fifty years. Mm. So uh, that's fascinating. And, 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 a- it, and it's called. And here's the thing: Se- every seven years was the sabbatical year, which is interesting. Huh. We think of sabbatical as is different, and the fiftieth year was the was the jubilee. So Jewish tradition was aware of the importance of allowing poor people to access loans. In fact, uh, it was your duty. It was your highest level of the eight levels of charity to allow someone to become self-sufficient through lending. But every seven years, there was a sabbatical where all debt would be forgiven. And on the 50th year, the Jubilee, you would actually sell your land and free all your slaves. So, hmm. I mean, it, it goes back, obviously, to biblical times. and, and like, But, but that, that idea of, of debt Jubilee is coming. And I, I said, Japan's going to be first. They already own 70 plus percent of the government bonds. But once, if if the treasury, I mean, if, if the central bank owns all the debt issued by the treasury, they can just cancel it. It's kind of why people misunderstand China a lot. They talk about the big debt burden in China, but it's not as big as you think. 40% of the debt is issued and owned by the same side of the house. The state-owned enterprise owes money to the state-owned bank. So 40% of the debt, they can just cancel. And so that does happen and you just start over. And ultimately, the problem is you start over from a much higher point of of prices. And, you know, you and I have different perspective on what's normal for a thing to cost, just because I'm old and, and you're younger. So like, I do remember paying a quarter, like a round silver coin for a bottle of Coca-Cola. Right? <clears throat> In the airport yesterday, it was not a quarter. All right. It was, you know, $4 and 50 cents. And people think that's normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I took my son-in-law to lunch the other day in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, for street tacos, it was $50. Yeah. That's not, I, I, I grew up thinking I could always eat lunch for $5, always. But now it's not possible. A salad in New York costs 20 bucks. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think overall what, what's happening here is that humans are ingenuitive, we there are periodic crises. Then we come up with systems to fix those crises. It works yeah. for a period of time. Then usually, I mean, technology kind of impacts whether or not those systems still work. You've probably heard a lot of chatter about how mobile banking has made it more difficult for regulators and banks to stem these bank runs. Right? You no longer have to physically walk down to your branch now. Wait for me, in line. you wait in line. Yeah. So. You know, the I'm I'm a firm believer in technology. It, it moves the the arrow of progress forward. Uh, even though I'm a kind of a luddite and suspicious of technology myself, I'm still very aware of what it's done for humanity. Life used to be short, brutal, and whatever that whatever that phrase is. Yeah, nasty, but brutish, I'm, and short. Nasty, brutish, nasty, and short. brutish, and short. But it does sometimes disrupt the systems that we 
that we've that we've created oh my gosh. solved the problem. Michael, hundred percent. You know and, know I mean? and the problem is the regulators and actually the 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 banks themselves and many corporations are still living in that other world. Right. Well, so just quick story. So. Bank of America made a bad decision. I think it was a bad decision. They may think it's a good decision, but you know, because I'm a business owner, they said, we're not going to approve your, your refinance. Okay, fine. I'm done. Bank of America, you're dead to me. So I'm, I'm transferring my bank, got a new bank. So I, they, they made my wife and I physically go to this new bank. Okay. Truist. And to, to sign in and they're, you know, paper forms and signatures. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? I looked around in this bank branch. There were eight people. Michael, there were eight people. There were four tellers. There were no customers in the building, but there were four tellers kind of waiting for the people to come for the bank run. But that didn't know what happened. You know, people withdrew their money using their cell phone. But the bank still has eight physical people in a building as if that's how people bank. It's wild. Mm. Wild. Yeah. All right, Mark. I know we're uh, unfortunately we yeah, we're over this for a while. Yeah, we're over time. All right, buddy. This is a uh, best hour of my week as per usual. Yeah. We'll see you. Cheers. Here. Happy St. Patty's Day. Have yeah. a Guinness. We dressed for it. So enjoy <laughs> the rest of the weekend, and uh, we'll be back next week. Excellent. All right, Mark. Cheers. Mm-hmm.